the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 150, Exceptional Experience, recorded July 3rd, 2014. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. And welcome to another edition of AV Week, your source for news and information in the AV industry. I'm your host, George Tucker. Tim Albright is otherwise engaged this week. Welcome to the show. We've got a full pack show today, post-Infocom, one week, two weeks out. Is it one week out? It feels like a month already, doesn't it? Good Lord. Well, none of us who got sleep during that time there. Well, to join me to discuss a number of topics, some hot buttons, some technical, in order is... One, Victoria Ferrari. She is from Synergy CT. Hey, how are you? Great. Glad right. to be on the show today. Yeah. It was good to see you at Infocom. And I have to say, you are about the fourth person who tells me I look taller on TV. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I have room to, <laughs> I have room to talk, you know. <laughs> yes, well, it was one of the few advantages I had. of You're the first person to say it. That wasn't taller than me. So <laughs> there you go. Also joining us, and I have no idea how tall he is, is Shannon Harvey from Aspect Unlimited, all the way over the pond in the UK. Good afternoon, sir? Late afternoon. Yeah. Late afternoon, there you go. Well, still good afternoon, there you go. Yeah, welcome, welcome. All right. Also is our good friend, she is Kelly Perkins. She is a marketing communications manager for AVI Systems and host, co-host of the AV Social Show. Hey, guys. How you hey. doing? Good to see you again. Thank you. And last but not least, of course, is Corey Moss. He is CEO of DC Smart AVIT. Welcome, sir. Thanks, George. And I will admit that at Infocom, I was half asleep on my feet for the first two days, and but I recovered on the third. So uh, <laughs> it ended up being a great show nonetheless. It was indeed a lot of fun, although, yes, I saw a lot of walking wounded on Wednesday afternoon, I have to say. There was people just flopping over like like fish. It was, it was quite amazing to watch. Uh, we had uh, both Rave and uh, Aviation had uh, booths or little press rooms up on the second floor, and there were couches. And of course, when there are couches and tired people and humming AC, what do you get? A lot of sleeping people. <laughs> so it was quite interesting to watch. Uh, but before we get going, we do have a sponsor. It is Middle Atlantic. All right, Middle Atlantic has designed a technology pedestal to make your conference room installations much easier. TechPed series is conference table support system for maximizing space and promoting cable and thermal management. There are loads of finishes to choose from, so you can match the color of your room if need be. There are also options like uh, wire mold retractors and, and uh, raceways. The TechPed series from Mid-Atlantic do for conference tables what credenza racks did for credenzas. Check out more information on the TechPed pedestals from Mid-Atlantic at midatlantic.com forward slash avnation hyphen ped. Mid-Atlantic, what great systems are built on. Thank you, Mid-Atlantic. Cool. So it's been an active week since Infocom. We had all of the technical stuff come out, all of the best and worst and the winners and the losers and 
the Microsoft desert, among other things, which was quite interesting to wander around. But one of the things that came out of it is a perennial craw in the throat of many people, which is the use of, for lack of a better term, booth babes. Our friend Leonard Suskin wrote a, a very interesting article that's gotten a lot of attention. You'll see it there up on the screen. Uh, about how it was not... Well, we don't really like it, or many of us don't like it, and we feel that it's... In a time when women are becoming more and more part of the AV industry in higher and more influential roles, that this is really disingenuous. The arguments go back and forth. Are we really being disingenuous? Are we being disingenuous by being disingenuous or accusing disingenuous? I'm not sure anymore, so I'm going to bring up some of the topic. We're going to start with Kelly. Kelly, you've been involved in some of these conversations online. Let's start there. What do you think of his article and what he's saying? Um, I mean, of course I agree with it. I just, you know, between he and Penny, of course I think it's I think it's degrading and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm so sick of this topic. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a woman. I'm in AV, and every year this topic gets brought up, and it's just, I feel like it's it's overdone. I don't mean to be, you know. I'm completely support women in AV on every aspect and you know every plane. I women in women in the industry have been some of the coolest greatest people I've ever met. Corey Schaefer, Melissa Dillman, Don Mead, Aaron Bolton have been some amazing mentors to me and it's just this topic just keeps getting brought up and brought up and I feel like putting it in the spotlight almost just brings up this topic again and again and it's not I mean yes it's degrading and annoying but it's what's different between that and women in a magazine and women in posters and women in movies it's just like you keep bringing it up and it almost does the opposite effect of actually of you know maybe if we just kind of left it alone I don't know I <laughs> I go back and forth on it because I really like I said you know, the women in our industry are some of the greatest people I've ever met. And do I think booth babes are, do I think it's annoying? Yes. Do I think it makes your company look, you know, crappy? Yes. But we all think that. You know what I mean? Leonard thinks that. I'm sure everybody on this panel does. I mean, it makes, it just, it makes your company look bad. And if you want to make your company look bad and hire booth babes and be that company, then feel free. But you're just, you're putting a mark on your company and that's it. And that's, that's my opinion on it. Like I said, I just I feel like I feel like it's just a never-ending cog in the wheel where it's just it never stops and I don't think it's ever going to stop and I don't know. I don't mean to go off on it. It's just No, no, that's fine. But Victoria Kelly brings up a good point is that maybe we are giving it too much attention. Is the answer to simply ignore it and let those wither out or do we have a more serious problem here that really does need attention? Um, I'm glad that Kelly stated it the way that she did because I kind of feel, you know, a lot the same way. Um, you know, it's kind of like when the media sensationalizes uh, those killers that go out. You know, it's like that same kind of thing has come out that, you know, it's like we're giving too much attention to something negative. And then also, you know, these companies, it's like they've, they're marketing that way to get attention, obviously, and they're getting it. Um, you know, I, I personally had never heard of Pure Link until the article came out about the booth babes, you know. For me, um, the way I look at it is, yeah, it's annoying. 
Um, but I don't think that it's like completely, you know, oppressing me. You know, I think it's, I mean, if I'm going to go to the booth and there's half-naked chicks there, if they're going to talk to me and they're going to be nice, okay, that's fine, whatever. It's uncomfortable a little bit, but I'm not going to say that I have to necessarily ban a manufacturer because they choose that type of marketing. Am I not going to sell Crestron to my clients because they had, you know, cow chicks uh, guiding people to their bus? No, I mean, that would be a disservice to my clients. So, um, so you know, I, I mean, I think that it's, it's annoying. Um, I'm sick of hearing about it. But at the same time, I do appreciate Leonard and other guys who, who bring it up and feel that, you know, they, that they kind of want to protect us almost a little bit. Um, so that's that. Well, Corey, again, Victoria brings up something. Is what Leonard wrote, and I was active on the original blog post defending a lot of it against a number of people who were bringing up only, not only the ability of people to earn a living in that way, but for lack of a better phrase, uh, physical empowerment about taking ownership of one's body and using it for what they want. Are are we being over the top and trying to be the male defender in this and perhaps we do need to take a step back? Well, you know, first of all, the women in AV, uh, I've been a supporter personally for a, w a while. It's not a new thing for me. Um, so again, I've I've supported the effort. I know many women in the industry, uh, many good women, and you know I can name names like Corey Schaefer, Jan Sandry, Gina Sansevero, um, Penny Sittler. Uh, there are many, many more. And as a matter of fact, uh, Penny uh, got involved as well, uh, to which she wrote a blog and follow up. To, um, to Leonard's and I have to say with Penny jumping into this it lends more credence as far as I'm concerned to the whole issue. Now Leonard coming out and doing it at this time uh, you know hey as, as Victoria and Kelly are saying okay we're a little tired of hearing this and but I'm not tired of the fact that you know, women do still talk about the support from men in the industry, um, you know, and, and how it may still be lacking. And now Leonard brings this to the forefront. And some of us are jumping in on it. I'm certainly jumping in on it. And actually, it's kind of becoming groundswell where we're concerned. And honestly, you know, those adding to the cause, Karen Smith also got into that LinkedIn discussion. Uh, both of them went full force. So now you have women's perspectives to it, too. And they're upset, and there are other women upset about all of this. So uh, certainly, like I said, I understand Victoria and Kelly. But my answer to that, George, is it's not just going to go away by itself. It'll continue. Um, they'll continue doing it. Now, the images in the article will first Leonard in the dress. I mean, I'm scared to be in the same room with him at this point. <laughs> well, you know, I have uh, to admit something, though. I said on his blog, and I'll say it again. It's the tall guys or the tall people who get all the advantages. You people can wear anything. See? Now, Leonard in a dress is fine. Me, I'm all boxy. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, I mean, so if you can do it, rock it, I say. But still, not to sell product, I guess, or at least not to uh, sell product you have nothing to do with. 
No, I think the bald head really <laughs> makes the statement. But um, but the other image in the article is where the statement is really made. And somebody already brought up the company name, so, you know, I can say it again, PureLink. Um, and there's the image with a guy with a wide grin on his face, okay, with a beer in one hand, looks lo what looks like a candy bar in the other, and two booth babes standing there, you know, in each arm. And you know what it almost signifies to me? It's like they're saying, hey, come to our booth, go see the products, that's fine, but come have a beer, see the booth babes, okay? And they are scantily clad, midriff exposed, um, you know, and, and like I said, I love his grin in that. I mean, uh, you know, that's just priceless. Uh, do I care to step in their booth at this point? Well, if I have a reason to, and the other thing is, I have many of these women, while I'm traveling by a booth, actually step outside and say, can I scan your badge? Now, if I'm not interested in the product, why do I want them scanning my badge? Hmm. Because all I'm going to get is, you know, email, worthless mail, which clogs up the mailbox and everything. So the practice essentially is eye candy, scan the badge. Um, what more do they do? Not much. But here's the way I feel, and actually others have agreed with this. Why don't we take these women who, as you say, deserve to make a living, and they certainly do. I do not deny that at all. They, they are at the consumer shows, but for a cause as far as I'm concerned. Infocom is different. You have industry professionals going to the show, and they have a targeted focus. You know, if they see a booth, babe, they want to come in, fine. Okay, they may attract them in to see something that they weren't aware of. But honestly, it works at the consumer shows. Look at the auto show. Look at, play. you know, they, you know, the consumers are going to be drawn to it. Okay. okay. Well, let me let me let me bring in Shannon at the moment because he and I've had some offline discussion about this. Shannon, you are you have, for lack of a better phrase, the international perspective on this. And uh, whether you agree or not, I, I'll, I'll do. I will mention that a number of associates that I've conversed with on some of these LinkedIn forums and in some of the blog. Uh, one in particular, a guy named Harold, who I'm very very close with, basically admonished us for being the American PC being overly concerned and that this is nothing in Europe and that everyone knows where their places are, not meaning keeping people in certain boxes, but that we do this and that it's okay. Um, what is your perspective on viewing all of this? As said Corey, you know, we do it in almost all of our shows and there's a line between professional and not, or is there? Well, interestingly, I, I think I've seen the most... Um, the, the most flagrant use of, of the booth babe, babe mentality in marketing in Las Vegas, of all places. Mm. Um, even, even in places like uh, in shows that I've done in New York or LA or Orlando, you don't see it nearly as much as you see it in Vegas. And I, I think it's part of the Vegas culture in some ways as well. Um, from the European perspective, um, I was actually quite amazed at one point um, that I was receiving emails uh, as, a, as part of a sales team for a manufacturer I was receiving emails from directly from women who were targeting the the manufacturers list before the show happened to advertise their services hmm. for for trade shows well in advance of of the show in Europe, uh, and this was for ProLight. And interesting thing there was is that they were actually while they were sending a a fairly scantily clad picture at, to the sales team that essentially pops up like porn, 
um, they actually were trying to more market themselves for the uh, language skills that they had to do translation for the German and Dutch and French and mm. um, Spanish clientele that you might have on, on your booth. Um, and that was what they were actually marketing as well as their other assets. Um, but from a, a, an over, as far as the PC perspective, um, certainly Europeans don't necessarily, uh, aren't, aren't as conservative in some values as Americans, but at the same time, as far as American marketing goes, um, it, it's, uh, it's always been pretty, uh, pretty risque and, and pushes the boundaries that sometimes even, you know, the Europeans may not be as risque about certain things or as PC about certain things. But um, they don't push the boundaries, I don't think, nearly as much. Because in America, you get, the, you get more attention by pushing the boundaries, whereas in Europe, it just kind of gets ignored if you push the boundaries. Well, our Puritan upbringing, I guess, or our Puritan origins have a lot to do with that. It's, uh, we're not supposed to be uh, titillated by it, yet, yet we are, so we have to have both sides of it. Which, I guess, poses the question, and I'm going to put this to Victoria first. Um, Given everything that we've just talked about and this sort of indecisiveness, maybe we're giving it too much attention, maybe we're fostering it by pointing it out, maybe it's our American PC, we are supposed to not like that kind of thing, yet we know we do kind of stuff. A lot of booths also, and I'll say this out loud, pandered to the World Cup crowd. We talked about booth babes getting, or you know, booth beefcake in some cases, but very rare, wanting just to get your ID. Whether you go in the booth or not didn't matter. They wanted your scan. It's a whole numbers game. Everybody had the World Cup on. Why? It wasn't showing the high-quality 4K of a lot of it. It was to get the masses. Is this not really the same thing? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I don't know if it will ever stop because of human nature. I mean, you know, it's cliche, but sex sells, and that's what how it's always been. Um, and unless, you know we completely change our our nature, um, which is not going to happen. I think, you know, marketing is just going to continue in that way. Um, you know, when I was, I used to work for a manufacturer, and I've worked for a couple different manufacturers, and I always felt that it was better to get quality instead of quantity because, you know, I worked for a small manufacturer, and, and that meant that I had to go through all of those leads. And it was like, do I really want you know, a hundred guys that just came to my booth to get a beer or watch the soccer mm. game or, you know, see hot naked chicks. Um, so, but that's just me. You know, different people have different ways of running their businesses, so. Well, I suppose it's all within context. Um, well, let's move on to something maybe perhaps a little more positive. Um, women organizations at the trade shows, one of them being Women in AV. There's another one, I believe, that met during... Uh, Infocom this year to address women in the industry's concerns. They gave out a number of awards this year, and we'd like to just mention some of them. Uh, I think there was, uh, you can see it on screen here. Sorry, I was having trouble switching. Uh, Corey Schaefer from Listen. Uh, I don't have them all in front of me. I apologize. Dan Sandry and yes. Teresa Hahn. Thank you very much. I had a list up here, and it disappeared on my computer. It's not liking all the bandwidth. Um, but thank you. So there, there are organizations out there that are uh, actually directed towards talking about these issues, but more about actually technology and women in the industry, right? Uh, Kelly, you've been involved in some of these organizations. You, were you involved in the meeting of uh, a bunch of people at Infocom for another? Um, I Yeah, I there was the Women in Technology Breakfast. I couldn't make it to the Women in Navy, um, the Women in Navy party at Hard Rock because I had a prior dinner engagement, but... 
Um, yeah, I, well, my point is asking that there are more organizations popping up, which is a good thing to address maybe part segments of the of the industry, not just women in AV globally, but there are some organizations that, that work toward that. And I guess my bigger question is, part of the conversation we just had, some of the people would ask the question, why is there a wave but no need for a MAVE, a Men in AV award ceremony? Well, I think, I think, um, I think, I mean, I guess there could be, but I don't know. I, there's, there seems to, at least when I started in the industry, there seemed to be so few of us, um, you know, and it was kind of, you know, and I had, I had previously talked to Corey about this, you know, sometimes, you know, okay, so I'm in marketing, so I'll get, you know, okay, you're in, you're a woman in, in the AV industry, but you're in marketing, you know, so it, it, it doesn't matter, you know, but if you think about it, I mean, there's how many men in sales, you know what I mean? And they don't go, you, they don't get, oh, he's just a guy in sales, you know, he's, it doesn't matter. So I guess my point is, I think it's, it's great to have an outlet for women in this industry because it is so male dominated and it, it's really nice to have somebody to pick up the phone and call where you don't feel intimidated, where you don't feel, you know, like somebody's going to make fun of you or judge you because you don't know a certain technology or if you want to just ask about things that are going on in the industry. And I think that's really between, between mentoring and really guiding and helping. I think that's all the women in AV is really trying to do is educate, teach and mentor other women in the industry. That's that's cool. really the whole point of it. No, I think that makes that makes the valid point. Uh, let's go on to something else that is sort of, I guess, controversial and can be confusing to the people outside the industry. Sort of like seeing the sausage made sometimes. Uh, recently, there was a published in Engadget, our friends at Engadget, what ultra high definition really means. So, with 4K, which is what this is part of, maybe, maybe not, that term has been thrown about in different parts of the industry to mean almost the same thing, but others say it's not the same thing. Shannon, I'm going to throw this to you because you deal in using 4K almost every day now as an events, live events, projection mapping. Uh, we'll give the people a little bit of an aspect of what you do. You work a lot with that projection mapping technology. Uh, yeah, 4K is... Um is nowhere near the resolutions that I typically deal in at this point. Right. So, so let me ask you then, from that sense, you, and by the way, we're saying you're, you're, you're doing stuff that's just amazing, but it's, it's not dealing with that technology moment. But to someone like you who's both a professional and a consumer, sure. this is actually a confusing terminology. Do you understand yeah. what the difference between 4K and Ultra HD is? I do, uh, but... That I'm, uh, I've written articles on 4K, so I understand the concepts, and I, I work in these pixel counts. Um, I had a really funny um, a, a occurrence uh, where I went to a pop-up booth for Panasonic here in London, and um, had the amazing, amazing um, experience of walking in and hearing the guy who was giving the sales pitch pitch to a bunch of punters, which is a, um, a term there. Um, they, they pitched to these guys who were standing there that they were looking at the future, and it was 4,000p. Um, and, and I just wanted to stand there and go, actually, it has nothing to do with 4,000, what you're showing them. 4,000 doesn't appear as a number anywhere in the resolution count of what you're talking about. Um, 
and and let's not confuse people here. And I, I think that it is a really confusing thing for people to um, to have to think about and understand. You know, you know what was HD? You know, with HD suddenly we had 720, we had 1080i, 1080p. It's all these different terms. You know, what is what is 3D? Is it is it active? Is it passive? Um, it's just another set of terms in in reality. Um, I think Ultra HD and and saying that it's uh, 3840, 2160, 2160p 20, is actually a lot more accurate than 4K. Um, and I I like Ultra HD as a term uh, just as well as I as I like um, yeah I, I think it's a better way of describing it. And 2160p uh, to me is much better. Um, my issues with commercial with consumer 4K to be honest is more about the availability of content. Uh, the availability of broadcast bandwidth. Um, you know, they're saying something like 8% of the television market within the next five years, only less than 10%, more like 8%, will actually be 4K televisions. Um, I think 4K is better than 3D was. 3D felt like a gimmick. 4K feels um, meaningful. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how the uptake of that is uh, over time. Another key thing, though, with 4K to me is with HD. You know, HD really started coming out in about '96, so now we're 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 at 18 years lifespan of um, of HD being part of our lives. Um, almost all of us have HD television. When HD came out, we had no definition of what was next. With 4K or UHD, we already know what's next. We've already seen 8K televisions in the industry. Um, so as a, as a defined kind of uh, point, we already know as, a, as consumers where, what we're going to have to buy next. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of, of consumer uh, mentality thing is of, of the disposable nature of televisions. And um, you, know, you mentioned on one of your shows recently about the under $1,000 4K television. Um, mm. And and to me, it's it's kind of a um, it's an interesting state to think about people people buying a 4K TV today as nearly a throwaway item because they might be buying an 8K in two years. Um, and and yeah. So though, anyway, those are some of my thoughts on UHD. So I had to jump away a little bit there. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, but uh, let me throw this to Kelly. You deal not only in the technology but the marketing of the technology. And I kind of have this feeling that despite what Shannon is saying and that there's very real reasons for the delineations between them and what's coming next and that, you know, we are sort of in this disposable technology era of, you know, the next big thing's coming, you want it, although we tried that with 3D and that's another issue entirely. Um, are we not confusing the, 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 our consumers? Even our educated upper-level consumers are confused by this. How are oh. you marketing it? It is. People are so confused, and I have a great example. I, so my grandmother is turning 90 years old next month. Her tube TV went out about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. This has been the biggest disaster in our family in years. So she ordered the TV from Sears. It doesn't work. They don't install it for her, blah, blah, blah. My mom's friend is trying to convince my grandmother to get a 4K TV in the midst of all this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm like, and he's like, well, I'll set everything up. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'm like, my 90-year-old grandma does not need a 4K TV. 
you know, so I finally, I finally got that figured out, you know, and then she's asking what kind of TV and she's, you know, losing her hearing a little bit. So then she got a sound bar and the remotes don't work and she's all over the place. And we literally got it figured out yesterday. So like now she has exactly what she needs, which is not 4k, you know, but it's been a disaster. No, like, I guess the regular population of people, not just 90 year olds, um, cause my mom was confused and honestly, you know, when it first started coming out, I was confused. So yes, I think the population is extremely confused about 4K. And I think it's, you know, I think eventually it's going to be like HD. It, you know, people are going to recycle it. People are going to, when the price comes down, they'll probably order it maybe for their homes and, and whatnot. But I feel like that's a long ways out. And I think, yeah, I, just to, you know, reinforce your point. Yes, I think people are confused. Well, and Corey, to, to Kelly's point, uh, you and I offline had this short discussion about this, and my feeling was that we're doing this, the industry, whether that's manufacturers trying to look unique or have some kind of different angle to get themselves out of the, the clutter of advertising, but it almost feels like we're, we're creating a false format war. The first word I'm going to say, George, and it's very historic in the industry now, is buzz. <laughs> okay. Well, have you seen any 4K glasses yet, or 4K? <laughs> Didn't we have that with HD with all the sunglasses and stuff? No, I got rid of my 3D glasses, so I'm not no, sure. No, the HD glasses, you know, the ones that yeah. see in HD at the beach. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got them at B&H. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, and this has been talked for a while at this point about 4K and, you know, we talk about the actual definition. We talk about content. Is it available? Is it not readily available? Uh, I actually had a great email with uh, one of my close associates in Russia. Uh, he's a display video wall expert. He works for Polymedia. And he sent me a real interesting email talking about the difference of uh, 4K Ultra HD that there really is a difference and you know the HD resolution the ultra HD resolution and he says 4k is everything close to it um, and it's it's an interesting point that he's making but you know the way I feel is that 4k has come full force into the consumer market I go to the Sony store last year they're showing me the 4k's go to Best Buy they're showing you the 4k's um, are they ultra HD good question but you know, it comes out as, yeah, we'll call it 4K, let's all call it 4K, you know, and then somebody in the industry starts calling it Ultra HD, and then everybody's scratching their head like, but wasn't that 4K? Uh, you know, and then the end, user get, end users get confused. So can anybody in this industry actually use the right terminology to describe what they're selling? Uh, you know, and so what's Kel what Kelly's saying and to what Shannon's saying as well um, there's a whole lot of confusion still at this point. So somebody has to unconfuse the market right now to where this is all going as far as I'm concerned. Can, can I interject something here, George, for one second? Why, certainly. My, my, my biggest concern at the moment for anybody who's going out and buying a consumer product in, in the Ultra HD or 4K side is, is really there is nothing, unless they have a RED camera and are doing a RED player, um, or they're getting Netflix streaming uh, on a 100 meg plus uh, broadband connection. Um, you know the, the amount of content available for somebody 
you know, just trying to upscale HD isn't isn't doing very well. Um, and with with the number of TVs that actually exist with HDMI 2, um, there's just there's just not the delivery systems, even the internal chipsets on some of these televisions um, are are stitching together multiple HD sources or to uh, dueling DVI, it's it's not clear. Even on the high end of the professional side, Barco and Christie projectors, for example, you know, in in, in our staging side of things, we're we're dealing with um, major problems in trying to combine video formats to be able to just output over distance this type of bandwidth uh, that's required to push these pixels. And I think um, it, until that becomes a little more clear on the back end of of what the technology is really about. All the marketing in the world is just hype, and it's not going to really settle until there's a, a solid standard on the playback content broadcast distribution side of things, which is the same problem that 3D had. You know, 3D now is being pulled from all the major sports broadcasts that used to do 3D broadcasts. They're pulling all of that because they just don't see the value. And I think the same thing in the 4K is going to going to have to play out for a while, um, as it did with HD. It had to play out for a while, and we didn't see HD broadcasts for many years after we actually had HDTVs around. Um, and we still get 4x3 content that's SD shot, and, and still, mm. it still gets sent out that way, when I haven't had a TV that wasn't 16x9 in almost 10 years. You know, um, Some tubes still exist, but... Right. But you're so right. I mean, when you're at Infocom, I mean, what, what is all the content you saw? Like flowers with dew on them, you know, grass <laughs> waving. Like there's, there, you're right. There's no content other than like National Geographic like cutouts. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, don't get me started on content at trade shows. Uh, that's a whole other subject. Oh yes, someone like you <laughs> yeah, that don't is. Don't get that is. started. <laughs> Ooh yes, yes. Well, I mean, and and not, and not getting people started. Let's talk a little bit more about integration here. Um, give me one second. I'm going to pull it up. Microsoft was supposed to show up, and they didn't. And I'm not going to be here to talk about what they did or didn't do. There was a desert. It was a booth. It had the World Cup on. You could charge your stuff. Great. There's uh, bunches of articles. Corey, you mentioned it on your uh, your Rave Pubs uh, version. Uh, Leonard says everybody had something about it. We were dubbing it the desert. But yeah. what came out of that, well, just on the heels of it, was Insteon starting to sell smart home kits and devices through Microsoft stores. This is from our friends at Electronic House. Okay, so our friends at Microsoft said they want to get into Infocom. They're making big things. And then they partner with, as we were just saying, what is 4K? Are we really talking about something real? It, this isn't really home automation now, is it? Or are we really just fooling ourselves? Corey, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this? And then we'll transition into the, the little wearable uh, wrist pad thing that we have as, as a topic as well. Well, and you know, it's interesting in terms of home automation, all of that. You know, I'm in Best Buy the other day. They're selling Nest. Um, the Microsoft Store is bringing in products like this to sell also. I'm in the Microsoft Store the other day bringing in my Edware-laden PC, um, but that's another story. Um, you know, it, it's interesting where this market is going and where it's going into as well. So this is going into the Microsoft environment. That's what they chose to do. Uh, is that the best environment for them? Well, you know, the Microsoft Store has a lot of people who go into it. Um, you know, about the, I'll have to tell you about the solution itself. Uh, I'm not as aware of it as others might be. 
but you know, I think putting it in the Microsoft Store is uh, is pretty strategic. Uh, but it, but what's interesting about the Microsoft Store is it's pretty limited in terms of its focus. So this kind of becomes, and here's my word, disruptive, I guess, in terms of what they do. But um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think they're doing the right thing with this, and. Um, you know, you're going to see a heck of a lot more of it. Kelly, and I'll let everybody know that somehow Victoria's network got got cut off, so we're missing her input on this. I would have really loved it. I'm going to try and get her back as we talk. But, Kelly, again, you you work now for systems, ABI systems. You guys put in mega systems. This is a this is a competition. Are your clients coming to you going, well, that's great, but, you know, there's this thing that I just hook up to my PC at home. Are, they, are you getting that, or are we talking about a completely different set of clientele? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody I think everybody thinks that you know something like this will be the the best solution. I mean, people want to install, you know, Chromecast and stuff into their rooms. It's like certain certain products are for certain rooms. This is for your house. This is for a couple small appliances, you know, electronics in your house versus a, a control system that's controlling you know, big rooms, big auditoriums, large training facilities and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it, goes, it goes back to the adage of, um, you know, people think they know what they want, but they don't know what they want. You know what hmm. I mean? Hmm. Well, let me put this to you, Shannon. This is not your wheelhouse, um, but you are basically... <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. It used to be. Okay. You know what? I did know that, and I completely forgot about that. But, okay, so it was your wheelhouse. This, and I'm going to bring up as well, while you're talking, the, um, the, the little wrist controller that they're talking about. And they were marketing this wrist controller to whom? They were marketing it to uh, people like the elderly. So there's a real push here to saying, all right, you young Turks, you get it. You have the technology. You're going to hack it and all that other stuff. But are we really talking automation here, or are these just adjuncts? Is there a real threat, or will these always be just tertiary products? Um, I think that there's, um, you know, that there should be a sharper image for for each uh, variety of life. You know, if you have your, your sharper image um, for uh, for for elderly, um, you know, that that's, that could be an interesting market idea. Um, you know. I think all of this stuff is is moving towards the the, the Dick Tracy reality or the, the Star Trek reality, right? We're we're just trying to um, have devices which better our lives and are easy to use and are um, make for uh, a more connected and uh, a, a, you know a better a better end user experience. Um, now I, I worked within Philips Research um, at on a on lighting control system and. Um, all about all about lighting control systems that react to your mood um, and and change the ambient experience when you walked in the room and, and we were doing stuff with RFID and uh, other types of tagging systems so that when I walked in the room and I laid down my keys the room would change the color that I wanted it to and it would start playing uh, the music that I liked and the television would bring up the the news items of my RSS feed that I needed to see um, you know all of that type of home automation is stuff that a lot of these big corporations have been trying to think of, of ways to engage their audience and um, and uh, attract consumers and make life easier. And I, I think that something like that wristband is is a great example because they they are marketing towards people that actually do need 
um, need these devices. You know, I think about um, the people who I know who who are using iPhones who are disabled. That you know, they they they're using either the speech functions or some of the touch aspects. Um, you know, I have a friend who's quadriplegic and he has an iPhone and has an iPad and he's actually able to communicate and use that those tools to be able to uh, direct theater shows. Um, and it's quite profound um, the, what, what technology can do for people who, who need those types of development. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I see that point, and I do, and, I, and I'm just curious that a lot of the, the wires and end gadgets and uh, I want to call them the prosumer trade press really see this as, you know, this is it. It's the, it's the way for the, for the future, and everybody who's going to have a democratic home automation. We're going to all be the Jetsons, as I guess that even that Engadget article was talking about. Um, and yet then we come to something a little bit more different. Just when we think we're going to have, I cannot, don't have to have my cable company. There's a technology out there that lets me do something. We get mixed up with, and I'm going to share this with you, Aereo gets their hand slapped. So Aereo, if you don't know, was a version of uh, streaming in which you could have a small micro antennas, they call them, and they would then you would subscribe and or rent these antennas at a remote location, and they would then stream that content for you and sometimes even DVR it. Recent Supreme Court ruled against them saying that they are just like a uh, cable company, even though they're not adding any ads or any other uh, revenue content to the stream that even though they're getting it off air, which is supposed to be the free version, that they are really a uh, a cable company and must pony up mega money. I personally see this as a real bad thing for innovation and that it's going to be detrimental to the consumer's right to choose. Now, Corey, there are some other, as this article is showing, others are saying, fine, they're saying no, but we can do it like this and there is actually an out and an industry that will allow this, despite the protests of the cable companies and the broadcasters, yes? I really think this is something bad for technology. Um, and the statements are interesting, them saying, your favorite service is going away. Here's an idea that isn't. Okay, and that's a great statement by Mark Ely. Um, then he goes on to say that then uh, another gentleman comes on to say television is a castle filled with money and people are trying to get into the castle and take some money. Um, you know, it, it, what this harms is innovation, okay, because now the Supreme Court steps in and says, well, okay, this is not going to happen. And they're going to say, well, innovation is going to continue, okay, and I like it. I really do. Uh, because nobody is going to go gently into the night with any of this. Um, and they're certainly not going gently into the night. Uh, you know, a two-year legal battle with broadcasters and all of that, you know, these things just seem to be becoming legal battles, uh, you know, spotlight grabbing, whatever you want to call it. And... You know what, I just, you know, again, I, I use the word innovation, it's a word I use uh, often, and stifling innovation to me, uh, which is I believe what this is discussing, uh, is, is just such a bad thing for the technology industry, um, you know, and actually can set it back in numerous ways. 
you know, the big companies are, are innovating and all of that. So, you know, this, I just, I, I disagree. I really do. Well, you disagree with the ruling? Uh, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, it's a little different over there in the U.K., um, there is more of a monopoly, actually, or was for a number of years with Sky TV, am I correct, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, do you have options like this, or is it completely different? Um, I think that the major broadcasters here have done a pretty good job of trying to integrate with, uh, with Internet um, uh, services in a, in a better way than I've seen in the U.S. I mean, in the U.S., certainly, you, you know, the major channels will stream their own, uh, own content, um, but uh, here in the UK, you know, basically you have a full DVR option available for every channel as an app um, that you can you can get access to almost all of the Freeview, um, and they and they do provide essentially a competitor to cable, which is completely free free to air. There's over 200 channels that are free to air in the UK, um, mm -hmm. and and so as opposed to the handful of local channels, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. Uh, PBS option, which is basically the, the major Freeview broadcast set, where everything else is all packaged into cable production um, that you have in the U.S. Here, I think there's a, a broader set of that, and actually, pay for Sky Cable and and whatnot is is just um, does not offer a huge amount of value, except for maybe adding on sports packages or movie channels and, and the like. And really, in in here, and and the, the thing I'm finding as a um, as a consumer of media. Is that I've dropped having a, a landline. I only have a cell phone. Um, I've dropped having a cable TV bill. I just have an internet connection, um, and basically, I get all of my media via via streaming devices, whether it's Netflix or uh, that. In fact, we don't even have our television free to view cable options anymore because if I want to watch a show, I'll pull it up on my phone and I'll I'll push it to my Apple TV. You know, it, it, I think the way that people are consuming media has changed. The way that people are interacting with things is, is just dramatically different. And while the um, while the area ruling, you know, is a setback for the consumer and for this company and other technology providers, the reality is that people are going to get their media however they choose. And whether it's peer-to-peer -peer, um, file sharing or workarounds or uh, Napster, you know, we keep seeing these things come up where people circumnavigate to be able to get access to the media that they want. Um, and you know, as an expatriate American living overseas, I can also tell you that a lot of expats, expats that I know, the only way that they can get their American television shows is illegally. They can't get it any other way because you can't get all the shows that you want to because they won't stream those shows over overseas. They're blocked off. So, you know, I think there's some interesting, um, you know, interesting things about how this this Supreme Court ruling will affect how companies are are doing things. But the reality is that consumers will continue to uh, circumnavigate the law to the, in the gray areas until it's better defined. Hmm. So the consumers will find what they want despite any efforts to stop them. Uh, I see your point there. And I forgot that you were next, Pat. Here I am expecting the British accent to draw in some viewers so that we have that because they don't need to listen to me all the time. Um, no, sorry. I had one job, Shannon, one job. All right. Well, listen, uh, now to that end, and something that's in Corey's wheelhouse. Corey, Unified Communications. This is from our friends at eWeek. Uh, the Mobility Cloud video holds keys to the future of Unified Communications. Offline, I guess in the green room, as we'd like to say, uh, before the show started, you and I were talking about how this actually does 
relate to the Aero and other types of streaming cloud-based systems. Mm-hmm. First, I know you have an opinion on the whole uh, uh, Supreme Court ruling on this, and tie that into me for cloud communication on how how it will or will not be affected by these kinds of same limitations. You know, I, I have a feeling it probably will uh, become a target. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how d- deep to dig on it right now, but listen, if all of that is becoming a target, of course this market is going to be ta- become a target as well, but it's growing into a very strong market at this point. Uh, you know, I'll word, use the word disruptive, okay? It's highly disruptive to the industry, to technology and what have you. And I'll even tell you BYOD as well. A lot of solutions work in the cloud. Uh, you know, so the cloud is even migrating to that. Uh, so where you have mobility and all of that, you know, you have, you have cloud becomes in essence a component of everything. And, you know, it's out there. It's broad scale and everything else. Uh, so I think where you talk about unified communications, and as it says, and this article is actually from back in April of 2013, but it's highly relevant now. Mm. You know, mobility cloud video holds keys to future of like no, it's not the future of anymore. It's now. Okay, you're seeing a lot of these cloud video conferencing solutions. You know, uh, mobility uh, video are key to them in comparison to hardware and everything else. Uh, some companies are actually going to the cloud now, where before they were hardware only, uh, and they're seeing this. You know, they're seeing where mobility and and, cl- and video and cloud is bringing all of this, the interoperability and all of that. And I don't want to step too far outside of your question, but if we are focused on unified communications, uh, the market's there. It, you know, it's here. It's liked. Um, you know, Gartner, uh, Forrester recognize the market. I think with that, that be, that makes it more powerful. It's global at this point. It can't be stopped as far as I'm concerned. And anything that comes into it, even though they may become targets, uh, you know, there's cloud-based video, there's cloud-based streaming. Uh, it's not going to go away, and it's not going to slow down. So, you know, in terms of unified communications, be it video conferencing, telephony, and all the components of it, Link is a good example, um, it's growing by leaps and bounds and it's getting stronger. So I don't see it taking the hit like, you know, like an Aereo would take or anything like that. Um, you know, uh, so that's really my, my take on UC and where, it's, where it is and where it's going. It's going to go a lot further at this point. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. And I have something for you guys. I, I know we don't want to beat this to death, but uh, my associate Tim Albright, who's supposed to be on vacation, dude, come on. <laughs> you better be in like you know Bermuda shorts and an open T-shirt. That's all I'm saying to you, buddy. All right. Uh, he just sent me a link that Dave Labuskis from the Infocom blog just chimed in on the booth babe thing. Uh, I'll show oh. this here. It is at info the blog infocomblog.org. All voices. Uh, he has shared, let me find it here, the sharing doesn't want to go, here we go, um, an exceptional experience was had by all, question mark. Basically, the con- uh, as you were talking, I was reading through this real quick, so Dave, if I miss, Mr. Lebuskis, if I miss anything, please forgive me, but essentially what it's saying is, yeah, we don't like it either, but we can't impose it. And I, I have to say that I think none of us were saying that Infocom, the organization, was responsible and or 
uh, advocating any of this either way at some point because they don't really have control over some of that. I mean, they have, I guess, general um, morality laws and uh, <laughs> things they have to follow as well, but he seems to have just chimed in on this, and it seems, as you said, Corey and Kelly, that it's that's the groundswell that's not. They don't like it. They can't stop it. We want everyone to be free and open, but here it is. I am summarizing this very quickly after a two-minute read, not even. <laughs> on it. But there you go. Chiming in on the uh, controversy of all of us saying is this going to be over and over and nothing happens? I don't know. Kelly, maybe there's something happening? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Wait and see. Yeah, if it happens, it happens, but you're not holding your breath. I get you. I get you. Um, Alright, so let's let's move on to one of our final articles here. I'm sorry that one moved me on. Come on. Oh, it doesn't want to come in. All right. Let's talk about something on this thing with disruption and some other stuff going on. I don't know if anyone saw this, but Microsoft has long been on its Patch Tuesdays. Every one of us that uses a Microsoft PC knows that Tuesday you get the inevitable emails, a little pop-up, you know, urgent things to do. They're now suspending the announcements of the Patch Tuesdays. Now, this, I think, has a lot to do with what we're talking about in disruption in that we talked about unified communications, everything coming to us within the cloud or through the specific channels. And in fact, an old-timer like me saying it's the old push technology that we originally talked about in the early 90s <laughs> rather than the retrieving that we were sucked into with Facebook and other social media stuff, which then became push. To that end, though, uh, Shannon, I'll ask you about this, uh, and I don't know how much of an opinion you have or not, but are we being a little overblown? Microsoft's saying they're stopping it because of... What is it? The, I'm sorry, I have to read it here. There's some notifications and subscription issues. RSS feeds being blamed on governmental policies. Is this a strike at the U, uh, European Union? Uh, I think that's quite likely. I mean, there's been a lot, lot of, uh, a lot of resistance here with um, uh, just, just generally with how communications and, and things are being handled. And I think the EU, uh, UK, the, the policies that are being set here will will have some impact back to U.S.-based manufacturers. It has to. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, though. I mean, while this Patch Tuesdays and, and that email, I mean, we're getting so much stuff, auto-updates for most of these things anyway at this point, where a lot of this information is just pushed, pushed out through their own, you know, if you have a PC, you're going to get the software patch regardless of whether you really want it or not. It's going to pop up at the bottom of your window because you're connected to the Internet all the time. Um, and so, in some ways, I wonder if it's also about eliminating some redundant communication, um, you know, and maybe the automation of some of these types of announcements and the, the pushing out of, of um, software patches and things. Um, as you said, the, the push is better than the pull in some ways, and um, and I'm wondering for if, if that's you know going away with things like Windows XP. You know, how, mm. how how do we how do we move forward in a in a, a more connected way? So that this stuff, that, you know, if, if I need a security patch or I need to have a new virus definition to protect my computer from adware, um, then it should it should come to me as quickly as I without me even needing to know that it needs to come uh, in in some way. And maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm too uh, trusting in in uh, Microsoft's ability to um, to help uh, help that. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have. To, to not have to go to a website to find out that I need a security patch. That's my 
We're, we're sort of riding up on our end of time here. It's about 11, 28, 29 Eastern Coast time. Um, but I want to bring this up real quickly that the EU also passed a couple of months ago the uh, ability to be forgotten law with Google. Uh, and I think this, I see this dovetailing in, and I'll ask everyone for their short, if you could, opinions on this if you know about it. You're basically saying that you can petition Google and other search engines, but particularly Google, to say, I don't want that article coming up in searches. It's detrimental to my business, whatever. And all they have to do is say, I don't want it. They don't really need to give any evidence. And there was one with a banker that was, that was I think, accused and or convicted of doing insider trading, and he's getting it taken off. Is this sort of the same thing? And I, I sort of guess I want your quick opinions on, do we really want things to be forgotten? Is that a good thing or not? And if I'm an AV business, just like uh, Infocom was talking about Apex, if you know about the Apex program, about the sort of qualification, certification, although Betsy doesn't want me to call it certification, the, the, the program about everybody having their businesses on the up and up and, and following that, that methodology, could I just ask to have them erased? That, is that a good thing? I'll start with you, Shannon. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a really hot topic here for sure. Um, I think that the goal is to for people to be able to take down um, you know, certainly the discriminating evidence against them potentially. I mean, I think things that are in the public record and, and things like news reports and things, those, those are things that you're just not going to be able to erase. But, um, you know, whether, whether it's... Um, I don't know. I, I think there's still got to be legal process and things, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that the, how that is challenged going forward. Um, mm. I, I can imagine that um, that there will be legal process in which somebody will try to eliminate some story about themselves off of Google, but somebody else will have a legal challenge that says, well, actually, you can't take that down um, because it's part of the public record. Mm. Um, it, the the a lot of lots been made of you know what's what the what the great firewall and and how Google's had to deal with China um, and and deal with um, the, the publishing of state records and things um, and so I think that if, if individuals can remove things about themselves you know the first time somebody who's been accused of, of um, or you know is, is being dealt with for being accused of terrorism um, or or something along those lines in, in the EU that will become less of an issue because it, it, it's just not going to stand up. Um, you know, Google is public information. You have to see it that way. Uh, well, here's what I ask. And Kelly, I'm going to put this to you because your, your main focus is marketing and such. Are we really looking at somebody just amplifying the Streisand effect? I think it's kind of awesome. I'll be honest. I mean, you've, you've, you know, I think there's a, there's a certain fear amongst people, especially people who post stuff online, and it's like, it's going to be there forever, you know, in this in this box somewhere. It's going to be, it's going to, the information we put up online is never going away. It's going to be around for eternity, blah, 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 you know, and it's, I don't know. I think, I don't, I, I'll be honest, I don't know, I don't know a lot about, um, I don't know a lot about the article and, and, and what's going on with it, but it kind of gives me hope that, you know, we, if if you want to take something down, it's not going to be in that big cloud in the sky for the rest of our lives, you know. But that's that's my personal take, I guess. Hmm. All right, cool. And Corey, quick, do you have um, do you have any thoughts on that? Is it the Streisand effect? Does it really matter to our business at this juncture? Yeah. Well, I'm not familiar with the Streisand effect, but what well, I Streisand will say the effect is um, she didn't want anybody covering her wedding and implored people. Oh yeah, yeah. Away. And of course, that meant yeah. that everybody and people who weren't going to pay attention paid attention. 
Yeah, I think they came. <laughs> I think they came in helicopters and all of that. But yes. um, but yeah, uh, here's the way I see it. And honestly, for myself, if somebody po posts something and uh, puts something in flaming and derogatory, which honestly, for the most part, I don't care in most situations. But for any, for but for some, you you better believe they want to take it down, and they can lobby Google. Uh, as a matter of fact, I guess to do it. But do we take it to the point of online censorship, which is also the way I would call it, because it's up there, it's online, it's you know, for people to see and whatever. Now you know, is it being censored in terms of well, take it down? Can it go further than that at that point to you know? Uh, uh, further effects. So I see two sides of the coin to the whole thing, and um, you know, I'd say sure you can have the right, but you know what? Then it kind of might spiral further than that, and now it's leading to uh, you know a, a worse situation. So honestly, uh, I don't agree with it um, as a practice, but you know, I'd say there may be some in instances where. You know, it might be a necessity. Right. Well, there you go. Uh, so as a final bit of business, and I want to thank everyone, but first of all, if you were at Infocom or you were watching Infocom stuff or you were paying attention to any of the feeds, you know well that there was something called the AV selfie going on during that. This was a production of Chris Netto and a few others uh, from Red Band. Uh, uh, was it Phil Cordell? Hi-Fi did a, a video and a song parody of the Chainsmoker song Selfie. Uh, you guys took, I think it was over 2,000... 500 photos or something of that nature. I'm sure that Chris will tweet me in a little while uh, after the delay on this saying, hey, it was this many. It was actually bigger. Uh, we enjoyed a lot of it. It was a great time. Part of that award was, you know, who's taking the most selfies? Who's got the, 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 the best one going? Uh, and there was an award of a projector. Uh, and that projector, I'm going to find his, his name. Uh, forgive me because I am, there it is, sorry, was Chuck Espinoza, right? He uh, tweeted a number, and there he is, of course, selfieing with Mr. Labuskis, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Chuck uh, won a projector. He won, I believe, uh, I'm going to have to add that later because I don't remember which projector it was. <laughs> Poor me for doing that. But um, he is donating that, I believe, to some of the uh, Infocom for some of the teachers to use and instructors. Uh, so that was very good by his part. So very good, Chuck. Uh, you had way too much free time on your hands if you ask me, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. That is awesome. And it was a lot of fun, that thing. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, well, we've uh, we've run into another hour of AV week. As the boys on uh, Click and Clack on uh, on Public Radio say, you've wasted another good hour. Uh, but thank you for watching with us. Uh, today joining us, of course, was Victoria Ferrari. She happened to drop off network issues. I want to thank her for her opinions. I'm sorry we didn't get more of them today. Also joining us was Shannon Harvey, Aspect Unlimited. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. All right. Also joining us is Corey Moss. He is the CEO of DC Smart AVIT and a prodigious writer on several blogs, including Rave. It was a Proxima projector, by the way. Everybody's telling me it's a Proxima. Thank you. Um, and I'm being told it was 2,150 posts. So it's off by 100. Thank you. Um, that's what you get when you get last-minute information. You know, this is breaking news. Uh, also joining us, of course, is Kelly Perkins. She is from AVI Systems as well as from the AV Social Show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to let you know that this show and many others on AV Nation are brought to you by Middle Atlantic, our sponsor. AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic Products and their tech pen technology. Middle Atlantic Products, what great systems are built on. Thank you so much, Middle Atlantic.
This has been another edition of AV Week, a production of AV Nation, where you'll find this and other specific shows on the AV technology from Pico Projection, live sound and entertainment shows, AV Social, as we mentioned earlier, Ed Tech for Higher Education Technology, the AV App Show, our weekly show on uh, applications for just the AV industry with uh, Hi-Fi, who you saw earlier, and Matt Scott. He was the other guy in the towel in that video. Uh, so please do come by, join us, see what you think, and give us some of your, your opinions. This has been... Eight.